Now I'm ready. All right, let's do it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Sex and Other Human Activities, the show that focuses on sex and on one or more other human activities. We answer advice questions. We talk about our feelings. Everyone has a glorious time. And in the end, we hold hands and uh, and we gently, gently lick your balls. If you're a dude, if you're a lady, we gently just sort of cup your breasts. Metaphorically speaking, through our podcast, it is glorious. My name is Sarah Benincasa. That is Marcus Parks. Uh, hello, Sarah. And might I say... Yes, sir. You are looking fantastic. Really? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I have lost some weight uh, by virtue of being depressed. <laughs> I I went and I got my hair. I lost 16 pounds this year, actually. Hey. Eight in a good way. Eight in a I hate my life. I'm not going to eat anymore way. <laughs> now I'm back to eating, which is exciting. But, you know, still doing the Weight Watchers. So hoping to kind of keep it, keep it down, keep the weight down in a good way. And um, I, I got my hair did. It's a little bit darker at it the is. moment. Closer to my natural color, although I do miss the red. And... Yeah, I guess I'm, you know what, number one thing, I'm feeling better. Number two thing, wearing makeup. <laughs> but thank you, I am, I, I am feeling better in episode 20. 19. No, 19. Episode 19, The Lady Returns. We talked about some pretty heavy stuff that uh, that I've been dealing with lately. Depression, anxiety, um, severe depression. That, that Something that I, I had to pull back from my, my regular life in order to get better and take care of myself and switch to working part-time and things like this that I did not want to do, going home to live with my family. And um, it has, it, it's been good, and I hope it continues to be good. I'm working real hard, and things are making weird noises here. Um, I, I'm working really hard at getting better, at taking things a little bit slower, mm-hmm. and on... I guess just figuring out the ingredients for my particular happy life cake. (laughs) Everybody has to bake his or her own cake. It may be similar to my cake. It may be very different. But we each need some specific things to go into our happy life. And I'm I'm figuring out how to do that. But um, And you look like a handsome son of a gun. You're tan. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you very much. I have no idea why that would be the case. Why is that happening? I don't know. Maybe I just have a particular glow. Well, 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 hey, you want to get to some uh, reader mail? Reader mail! mail. Let's do it up. All right. So this one, uh, I don't know if uh, we want if she wants us to use her real name. So we'll call her Vanessa. 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 And by the way, I want to say to uh, you folks out there, thank you so much for so many emails of support, loving support, and for me and for Marcus that you guys have sent, and and we read them all. And uh, they they mean. I think I I think I can safely speak for both of us to say that they mean a lot to both of us. Yeah. Uh, it, it helped me. You guys have helped me through some really dark days recently, and I thank you very sincerely and very deeply for that. Your words really do make a difference, so thank you. And now hopefully we can make a happy difference in somebody else's life. Let's see. All right. So this is from Vanessa. Every time I try to purpose adventurous sex or just any sex out of the norm with my boyfriend, he laughs, makes jokes, or simply doesn't respond to my advances. This really bums me out because I've heard so many stories about girls he's been with before and the crazy things they've done. 
I'm not trying to compete, but I am 22 years old, uh, or a 22-year-old who has never done anything uh, too risky when it comes to sex, but now that I have full trust and am in love with someone, I want to explore and have fun, but he doesn't seem interested. My boyfriend and I have been together for two years now, and he has told me he is mentally ill, although he has never disclosed what exactly is wrong with him. It's time to ask. That's a really important question to ask. <laughs> uh uh, that it's my, or let's see here. What exactly is wrong with him, exe- except that it's emotionally related and that he is currently not taking medication? Do you have any advice on how I can spice up this relationship, or am I doomed to have the same three sex positions for the rest of this relationship? All right, Vanessa. Let's deal with the most important thing in your email, which is not about sex. You gave a relatively typical, how do I spice this up? How do I get my man to be more adventurous? I'm worried about comparing to people he's been with before kind of thing. That's pretty basic. Let's get to the the real nugget, which is that he has told you that he's mentally ill but has not said why. You need to ask why? Why have you not asked why? Maybe because you're young. Uh, maybe because you just didn't want to rock the boat. If I said to you, I am chronically ill, would you not want to know what that was? A mental illness typically is a chronic illness. There are uh, flare-ups sometimes. I had one recently. They are important. You need to know what it is. If this dude were diabetic, you would want to know. And you would want to know that he was taking his insulin and going to his doctor's visits regularly, right? And you sure as hell wouldn't feed him birthday cake, now would you? (laughs) Well, in order to be as uh, supportive as possible and in order to protect yourself and to make good choices for yourself, you need to know what this mental illness is. He's your boyfriend. He should explain it to you in detail. If he doesn't want to go into detail, that's a problem. You need to know what's going on. What is his history? Does it include, God forbid, violence? Uh, Does it, is it in some way related to females? When was he diagnosed? Did he just go online and look at WebMD? Because that is bullshit. He needs to go to a real doctor and get some real help, not necessarily medication. What is this dude's deal. It may not be attached in any way to the sex thing. You are with someone who has told you he is chronically ill and you do not know what it is. You need to find out. It's weird that you've been together for two years and just sort of let that one pass by. And it's, it, I think it's also strange that she just sort of mentions that in passing rather than, you know, it mentions it in passing in a how to spice up the relationship. That's know. the real problem in that relationship. Yeah, that is the real that is the real issue. More that is the more important issue than the other question. That is what you need to work on first. You need to sit him down and talk to him. Now, as far as the the spicing stuff up goes. First of all, why do you know what kind of sex he's had with his uh, exes? Why has he given you details about this? Do you know because you have a friend of a friend who is with him? Why do you know? I I think it is inappropriate for him to have told you in detail what he did with these other women because... Unless she asked. Well, she she probably asked. Unless she was uh, curious about it. That's true. If she asked and he he answered you, uh, then Lord help him because you know you shouldn't do that with a woman. (laughs) He asks and you just go, what you're supposed to do, guys, is she asks and you go, you know, honey, it was a long time ago. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you one thing. Wasn't near as good as what I've got with you. Yep. Or you say, honestly... Sex was kind of boring. Even if it was the best fucking sex you've ever had in your life, it blew your mind. Yeah. It's kind of boring. Or that girl, 
she had a lot of problems. Sometimes I, having sex with her, I, I got kind of, I got to admit it, kind of uncomfortable. Mm. Even if it was the best thing and her pussy felt like the antidote. It felt like your dick had been sick its whole life and it found her pussy, which had the antidote. Even if her pussy had the power to cure AIDS, bulimia, and the debt ceiling crisis. <clears throat> Your girlfriend must not know that. Do not tell her. Mm-mm. Just make it sound like the sex life was meh. You yeah. don't have to say it was terrible. It's way better to just be like, it's kind of boring. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, I, I think if he went into like explicit detail, because, you know, of course, you know, whenever you date someone. Oh, I always want to know, but but it's better if the dude will not tell me and it's just like, oh, honey, it was boring. Yeah. It's like, no, I've been with some girls. You know, this is fine. You know, I've just been with a few ladies. That's definitely the best way to go about it. And uh, even if, I mean, if a girl presses and, you know, it's, but it's also possible that this could turn her on. Oh, yeah. I mean, if this is what, you know, if this was going to get you off, then all right. But I think it's clear that with this young lady, Vanessa, in particular, it's not sexy time for her. It doesn't turn her on. She's like, ugh, gross. (laughs) I don't want to know this. It makes me feel weird inside. So that's another issue. I would say put a, let's put a moratorium on talking about his, um, about who he's stripped and who he's fucked in the past. Let's put a moratorium on that, okay? And now let's get into a little bit of the sexy time stuff, spicing it up. You have sex in the same three positions. That's more than a lot of people. A lot of people just have sex in one position. So weird. So you only have sex in three positions, and that bores you. And you say he kind of like is a kind of, you know, laughs at you when you try to do other sexy time stuff. I think it is worth having a conversation with him. Do not have the conversation in the bedroom. God, no, do that's not. the worst way, worst place to do it. Mm-mm. And do not have the same conversation while you're having the mental illness conversation. The mental illness conversation, you go for a walk with him, you get him in a place that's chill and just go, honey, you know, I've been, I've been wondering about something lately. You mentioned it a while back. Then you go, mental illness thing, what, what do you have? I think that's a pretty important thing for me to know and... Want to make sure you're all right. Yeah. Gently press him. Don't press real hard. Gently press him for answers. If he's not forthcoming with it, I would get the fuck out of the relationship, quite frankly, because uh, that is somebody who's keeping a secret from you that you really do need to know. But anyway, that's just my opinion. Other people might disagree. But uh, as far as the sexy time thing goes, you have that conversation, again, when you're just chilling, doing something, having a glass of wine, you went to see a sexy movie, whatever you're doing, it's relaxed, it's kind of fun. Don't bring it up like, we must talk about this. Go, hey, you know what I really want to do? Mm-hmm. And then show it to him in a movie or show it to him in a book or just tell him about it and start giggling. It's cute if you're like, I want to do this. Oh, what would you think if one day? And if he laughs, that's all right. Just be like, no, for real, I want to do it. Like, I want to do it. Let's do it. And be cute about it, cute, sexy about it. And you know what's possible is that there could be, if this guy was very adventurous in the past and Mm -hmm. there was a lot, it could be that something happened. Like, it could be that something negative happened to him while doing this stuff, something I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he, had some, he tried something and it was extremely embarrassing. Uh, he could have been humiliated in some way. Uh, but I think that's also worth asking about as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You could go, honey, do you... I want to try... I love... Say, always phrase it in positives. I love when we do this, the thing that you always do. I love when we do this, the other thing you always do. I love when we do this, the third thing you always do. And I would love to try this. Mm-hmm. Never say, I'm bored, or I want to spice things up, because I, everybody knows I want to spice things up means I'm bored. Yeah. 
guys are very sensitive about this stuff. You got to handle it with kid gloves a little bit. With other things, you can just cut right to the chase and be like, motherfucker, I don't give a shit. We're going to this party. Or fuck you. No, you shouldn't talk like that to somebody ever. But with, <laughs> but you you got, you got can't just be like, I'm... Ah. I mean, listen, I was in a relationship where I was not getting laid. I've been in two relationships like that. And it's fuck. It sucks. It sucks because balls and dick and ass. It is the worst. It is the worst. It is so bad. Um, because it becomes a thing between the two of you and it builds and builds and builds. And then you start to feel like you're being shrill and whiny and annoying and he starts to look at you as shrill whiny and annoying and acts like you're the problem and you're like no you're the problem and it just becomes this big mess that you cannot possibly disentangle by the end of it you guys may be perfectly fine perfectly healthy people who want to have sex but you will not want to have it with each other because you will just have built this web of anxiety Mm. and it's not cool so rather than go down that fucking rabbit hole i've been down it twice it is awful i suggest that you phrase it with positives I like this. Always start with a compliment. I love when you do this. Remember last night when you did this? That was so fun. Even if it wasn't so fun, just it, not if it was shitty, but if it was just a little fun, make it sound mm. like it was way more fun. Oh, that's the, that's one thing though is that uh, if you tell a guy that it's like if you didn't even really enjoy it that much, and if you tell a guy it's like, hey, I really love it, so he's gonna do it a lot. It's got to be a little bit fun at least. Yeah, he's, got, he's, he's still did, gonna. He do did it. a good move. I love when you do that. It's so fun. Um, you know what else I'd like to do? Jump right into, you know what else I'd like? You stroke the ego first, then you go in for the kill, and you give out something. I would really love it if... I want you to tie me up. Mm-hmm. I really want you to tie me up, and I want you to... If you tie me to the bedpost, how fun would that be? And he might laugh and go, no, I'm serious. I mean it. Let's do it. Let's do it next time. I'm yeah. going to bring the ribbon or whatever. And then you bring the ribbon. Mm-hmm. And if he's not comfortable play acting, that's okay. Some people aren't. Some people do. It's goofy to be like. It's extremely goofy. It's yeah. so goofy. And so if he's not comfortable with it, you know, Vanessa, you're just going to have to make peace with the play acting thing. But he should be able to meet you partway, if not halfway, partway. Maybe he doesn't have to pretend to be the the sexy professor and you're the sexy, naughty student. Um, hey, but that's the porn that I watched this morning. Oh, really? Yeah. Marcus, this is why we're friends. (laughs) We vibe on the same wavelength. But if you still, maybe you want him to spank you with a ruler. He can do that. (laughs) Don't pretend to be the professor. Spank with the ruler. So you, Vanessa, identify things you would like to try. And uh, pick one of them. Have it in your back pocket. Chill with him. Nice conversation. Sexy, fun, flirting in a safe place, not in the bedroom, not in the middle of sex so he feels inadequate when you're like, this is boring. Say, I love this one thing that you do that you genuinely like. Mm -hmm. You know what else I'd love to do? This. Put it out there. Put it out there? Put it out there. (laughs) Put it... Girl, put that shit out there and just get on it. Like, just take it <laughs> off and just get on it. Like, really just hit it from behind and from the front and from the back and just make him just put it in there. You know, girl? Yeah. That would be disgusting if I talked like that. <laughs> if I thought that was, I'd be like, is this sexy to you? Put it on him. Woo! Yeah. Um, put, put it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in you. I'm going to put it in your butt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in your mouth. Marcus is going to put it in your butt mouth. <laughs> your mouth looks like a butt. Ew! <laughs> ah! That's what a butt mouth sounds like. Ma- oh, God, I want to kill myself. <laughs> and I don't mean it in the depressed way. <laughs> um, my friend Jessica once was in... 
she was in her dorm room. Where we went to Emerson College. She was in her dorm room. She was forced to share a dorm room with this girl who was lame. And she woke up one night and the girl, other girl was fucking her boyfriend. And Jessica, I said, what did it sound like? She said, you know how it sounds. Ugh. And I said, ew, what did it sound like? Like moaning? And she goes, it sounded like stirring cold pasta. <laughs> And I said, Jessica, I will never stop telling people that in my life. I talk about it. I will talk about that on stage. I mean, at the time, I didn't know I was going to become a stand-up comedian in, in like eight years. But um, yes, cold that cold pasta sound is exactly what you made with your mouth. and It makes me want to die. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's, the, that's the thing that most people, the, like, you don't really listen to people having sex silently. Because if you're in that dorm room situation and someone's fucking five feet away from you. Oh. Uh, and that's whenever you do hear the the, the cold pasta noise. Oh, I want to <laughs> die! I want to die! That's so gross! Oh, people should never have sex ever. Oh, <laughs> gross. This should be called, don't ever have sex, but do other human activities. Yeah. So we got some more mail, I think. I'm trying to shake off the cold pasta. Uh, all right. Uh, Here's one that's a little bit more serious. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Hello, Miss Bidencasa and Mr. Parks. Hello. Hello. I want to start the email off by telling each of you how awesome you are. Duh. Mm-hmm. Sarah, you are beautiful and amazing and strong. True. You can get through whatever life throws at you. Thank you. Marcus, you are hilarious and great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess. I suppose yeah. so. I like you. I like you, too. Oh, friendship. Let me introduce myself. My name is Megan, and I am 15 years old today. Hey, congratulations. Yay! I want to thank both of you guys for giving me such confidence in myself. I suffer from severe clinical depression and severe anxiety. I go to a counselor weekly, and I'm on Zoloft. Until I discovered your podcast, I kept it hidden from my friends, but hearing you guys speak so openly about that kind of stuff, I was able to share my struggle with my friends, which helped me so much, and I owe it all to you guys. Thank you, baby. Oh, thank, thank you, you so Megan. Much. This, this letter really got me when yeah, I read too. it. Although my parents and friends know I'm depressed, I do keep a secret from them. I cut myself. I do it on my hips so that nobody will see it. I told a friend of mine who has a history of cutting, and she shrugged it off like it was no big deal, and I know she won't tell anyone. Part of me feels like I have it under control because I'm not addicted yet, and don't cut myself very deep, but don't have a strong desire to stop. Although another part of me knows I should get help because no amount of self-harm is healthy. However, I know that if I tell my mom or dad, both of them will be mad and react negatively to it. I've considered confiding in friends, but I know if I tell anyone else, it should probably be an adult. I'm still very nervous and super hesitant to do anything. Please give me your opinion on what you think I should do. I appreciate your time very much. All right, Meggles. So after I... I wrote back to Megan, some of which I'll repeat, um, but after I read her letter i looked at my brother uh, is a nurse he's studying to be a psychiatric nurse go figure he was surrounded by crazy people his whole life and so he is you know ready to rock and roll Mm. and so my brother gets the journal of psychiatric nursing and he is a member of the american psychiatric nurse association and he also gets another uh nursing magazine and so i was reading i forget if it was the journal of psychiatric nursing or if it was the other nursing magazine reading it really interesting and they happen to have a cover story about cutting and and the cover image is like a fake piece of skin. You know, it's not real skin. And a cut with a real gross-ass razor blade. And it is an arresting cover. I will tell you that much. And it happened to arrive at the house, I think, the same day I got Megan's 
email and I was like, oh. all right, this is meant to be. I need to read this. So I read it and it's about how nurses can deal with it's by it's by a nurse and it's about how nurses can deal with patients with a history of self-harm, biting, burning, um, you know, pulling out their own hair, different things. Um, what it said was that the patient who cuts is not usually doing it for attention. Sometimes they are. But if the patient's doing it for attention, most likely that patient is going to do it in a place that is visible. Mm. And it is actually rather rare for for cutters to do it in a place that's visible. For someone like Megan, who is doing it in private, that is way more common to cut yourself in private in an area that where folks can't see. She said, the, the author of this article said that oftentimes people who cut are doing it for a sense of relief and release. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of tension. Um, they, I read one study where it said that 50%, fully 50% of, of self-cutters, and I do not know how many people were in this study, uh, had a history of sexual trauma. Mm. Um, many of them had a history of some kind of abuse when you broadened it from not just like sexual abuse to, you know, you broadened it to physical, verbal, emotional, blah, blah, blah. A lot, even more of them had that. The urge to cut oneself oftentimes doesn't come from a desire to end one's life. If you want to kill yourself, you're going to kill yourself. Yeah. But people who cut themselves, there is a temporary pain but the pain becomes like a pleasure because it distracts them from other stuff. It distracts them from the intense anxiety, fear they feel. It distracts them from all the pressure they feel. It distracts them from the incredibly intense amount of depression they may be feeling. Another interesting tidbit was that um, in this article it said that uh, I believe 70%, at least 70% of cutters are white middle class females who are somewhere between the ages of like 13 and 30. Yeah, that makes complete and total sense. Basically, adolescence, extended adolescence. Hmm. So I don't know why it's white girls. <laughs> you know, we have so much to deal with. Um, but it's it. it I, that's just how it happens, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. Culturally, different cultures manifest. I think the same emotions in different culturally acceptable ways. Mm-hmm. And cutting, I guess, is a is a trend for some people or whatever. That's one trendy way to to display it. But what is happening is that Megan, my guess, according to this article and just from friends I've known who did it, is that you're looking for distraction from your feelings. Yeah. So that means that you got some feelings that are tough that you're not sure how to handle in a healthy way. You might not yet know the healthy methods for it. It sounds like, and you had you know, shared with us that you had been, I believe she shares with us in there that she had, had been in inpatient care. Yeah. Uh, and so you have had the what I call the top level, the surface level stuff, the symptoms that, that we kick up, that our brains kick up when there's some toughness and some there's some damage and sadness happening in our brains maybe even in our souls uh under the water there's a lot of kicking and a lot of motion and and then you see you know you see some stuff bubble up to the surface that's the stuff that gets the attention first that's generally you know your suicidal thoughts that you voice your uh, negative practices if you were harming yourself in a place where people could see they would have addressed that that's where you know i'm guessing they probably put you on meds you probably do therapy all that stuff there that's handling that she does Yes. But the cutting shows me that there are still some things underneath that are problematic and that they're not coming out in some of the other ways they used to come out, these problematic feelings, because you've got to hold on them with medication or with therapy. But this cutting thing is a new way for you to express 
some kind of sadness that you have, some kind of fear, some kind of need for distraction, a temporary relief. This feels so bad that instead I'm going to feel this thing, mm-hmm. which feels worse, but will distract me from the bad emotional feeling. It's also, I, I would guess that there's a little bit of a control thing there, too. When you cut yourself, you get to decide when you feel bad. When you're depressed, you're anxious, you're you know schizophrenic, you're bipolar, whatever you are, you don't get to decide. It just happens. Mm-hmm. So there's some kind of a weird sense of control in, in getting a, in getting to be in charge of the razor. And people who starve themselves on purpose, <laughs> not because of famine, mm-hmm. um, but who starve themselves, there's a sense of control. I get to decide when I eat. I get to decide what I put in my body. The rest of my life may be crazy. Maybe I was hurt. Maybe I was molested. Maybe I was ignored. Maybe I was neglected by grown-ups. I was never able to control that. But this I can control. I can control my food. I'm in charge. That's mm. exciting. But it becomes addictive. You get addicted to the high that it gives you. And that is what we want to nip in the bud here, Megan. So I know you said your parents would be mad. If your parents express anger, it is because beneath that anger is a great gaping well of sadness and fear on their part because they have created another human being who they love very, very much. And it is terrifying to realize that you have created another human being who is walking and talking and moving of her own accord and who has feelings and who suffers and you can't control it. That is terrifying to your parents. And there's also probably some guilt mixed in there, particularly if your mom or dad has a history in their family of, of mental illness. There's probably some guilt mixed in there, too. So the anger may come out, and they may not be educated enough to know that expressing anger to you is a bad, stupid thing for them to do. But you know it. You, in some ways, are better equipped to handle this than your parents are. That said, I think that they need to know. I think that they need to know because they can help you. They can provide the financial resources, the time, the car rides. You know, you're not old enough to drive yet. All that stuff to get to help. I think that you should tell your counselor. And I think you should tell your counselor because you want to find out with your counselor a good, healthy, safe way that you can tell your parents. Absolutely, yes. Definitely tell the counselor. Say, listen, I know you need to disclose for safety reasons, uh, because if if, if, if Megan had actually pointed out this to me, I had sent her an email and she had pointed out this to me, you know, I'm afraid to tell my counselor because the counselor legally has to tell my parents if I've been hurting myself. Yeah. True. So that's why you approach it this way. You go, listen, I want to talk to you about something. I want to tell my parents. I want to formulate an action plan with you. Possibly with you in the room yeah. so that I can tell my parents safely what has been happening. I'm not trying to hide this from them. I want to present it in a way that will be helpful. I think it should come from me. And, Megan, I do think it should come from you, even if that counselor's in the room. Say, I think it should come from me. I would like your help. I do not want you to – I'm not here because I want you to call them up as soon as I leave. Um, if I, You can say to her, listen – I will make a you can make a pact with your counselor. I will make a bargain with you. If you work with me on this and you help me tell my parents in a safe way what I have been doing, I promise I will follow through. I promise I will tell them. Um, do not please and just say please do not tell them without my permission. I know that you have to. Let's do it together. Mm-hmm. 
Let's do it. I'm telling you right now, let's do it together. That's going to be healthier for me. That's going to be better for me. And honestly, Megan, I think it's going to create greater self-confidence in you if you are able to tell your parents this, as awful as it may be. You know, and I think this counselor, if she's worth anything, and I, I hope she is, or he, she, or he is, uh, I, I think they will be willing to do it and possibly to bring your parents in and do that in the room together and talk about it in the room together. And that would show a great deal of maturity on your part. And that would show, Megan, that would actually show your parents, show your counselor, and show you that it doesn't always have to get to a terrible crisis point, that you do not always have to be rescued, that Megan now smart enough, educated enough, brave enough to say, I need help. I am going to be an active part of seeking that help. Because you know you do. You wouldn't have written to us about it if you didn't. Mm -hmm. You're a smart kid. You know what's going on. Actually, you write a much better email than most adults I know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Most adults that I know. You might be smarter than Marcus and I. I'm not saying. You never know. may have gotten better SAT scores or you may be going to do that. And and that's totally fine. Definitely going to go to a better college than me. I know that much. Yeah. Probably me too. Yeah. 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 I think so. Um, That would show you being proactive rather than waiting for other people to be reactive. Yeah. I mean, Megan, recently, you know, you listen to the podcast. I got, you know, when I was 21, much like you, when I was younger, I mean, we're different ages, but when I was younger, I had a lot of problems with mental illness and had to be taken care of. That's when I was 21. In that case, my friends called my parents and my mom came and took me home from Boston, you know, a grown-up, 21-year-old, and had to take care of me. I was like a baby again in, in certain ways. This time, when I started to feel depressed, I learned from the lessons of last time. I had a lot of the same fears, a lot of the same feelings, a lot of the same emotions, a lot of the same, I hate myself, I'm a loser, I'm such an idiot, I'm, oh, I'm going to ask for help, what an asshole. But I still asked for help this time. My friends did not need to call my parents. Yeah. Nobody found me or just said, this girl is dying. I said, I need help. I went to the doctor. I said, I need help. I went to my parents. I said, I need help. What people would say to me, Sarah, people have said to me, Sarah, you did such a better job this time. Do you see how you've grown? Do you see how you're stronger than you think you are? And I did not see it until probably today, thinking about you and the advice I was going to give you. I did it better this time. This is a chance, Megan, for you to do it better this time. And if you do this, it's going to build more confidence for you so that the next time you have some kind of negative, start to feel these bad feelings or these urges, you're going to be even more ahead of the game. And eventually you're just going to fucking have your shit on point. By the time you're our age, you're going to just be like, you know what? Um, I'm not going to make that choice because I know it would make me feel shitty and I'm going to talk to a therapist about it. You're going to like be a fucking mental enlightened genius. Yep. But you got to do the work now. You got to do the work now to get there. Even if it causes some embarrassment, some stress in the family, it's worth it. Think about it, Megan. If you had a kid, you'd want to know. And don't have a No teen mom. No, no teen, teen mom. mom. No, no. No teen no, mom. Nope, nope. Nope. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> if you're going to have sex, wrap it up. But you're too young. Don't have sex yet. You're 15. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you've got a, a bright future ahead of you. There is a way to take this negative and make it into a positive learning experience, a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, to quote my grad school professors and our nation's president, who was once a grad school professor. <laughs> so good luck. We think you're awesome. You're smart as hell. If you want to, you and your counselor might talk about you writing down what you're going to say to your parents first. Calling your parents in for a special session. Hey. 
And if they get mad, just know that what's underneath that anger is is fear. It is not just rage at you. Yeah. Also, they'll get over it. Oh, they'll so they'll totally get over it, yeah. dude. They'll get over it. Fairly quickly. When I, I was imagine. a teenager, my dad would, and I started taking Paxil when I was 16, um, and it was totally, like, not taking the right drug for me. My dad would be like, okay, uh, so do you think you're going to be able to go off it soon? Do you think you'll be able to go off off your meds soon? Because just based on his background, where he was coming from, and some events in his life, he was somebody who always tried to avoid taking pills. He always wanted to avoid reliance on a substance he had seen how destructive that could be to someone. And so he was not as educated, as up to speed as he is now. Uh, hadn't gone to therapy himself yet. Hadn't, you know, and so he was like, oh, do you really think you need it? Maybe you need, maybe you should stop, you know, don't, don't get too reliant on it. Now he is like, don't go off your meds. Meds are awesome. Yeah. You want to go to the shrink? Go to the shrink. You're having thoughts about about how you want to die? Well, they're going to pass. They're, you know, it's a different... You can be a part of your parents' evolution as people. You can be a part of teaching them and educating them in a way that may make them, in the end, happier, healthier human beings. I agree completely. I just talked a lot. <laughs> well, it was all very sound advice. It's like I host a podcast with Marcus Parks. Oh, it's like I host a podcast with Sarah Benicott. Yeah! This is the funnest podcast. I love it. We talk about really heavy things, but it makes me happy. Makes me happy, too. I wrote Marin um, a, an email, and I was like, Marin, dear Mark. And I just wrote to him about how, how affected I was by listening to his keynote address at Just for Laughs. Mm. And I wrote to him about how I had cried. I sent him the episode. I don't know if you ever listened to it, but I sent him the episode that we had. And I know he's really busy. I was just like, listen, you have, you know, your podcast has been a positive influence. And it's really nice to get feedback from our own listeners that we have in some way been a positive influence. That's pretty cool. It is. Paying it forward. Good golly, Miss Molly. Building up all kinds of good karma. Now, do we have another one that we need to get to? I know we're probably riding on the edge of, uh, of timing here. I think I think that's about all we uh, all we got for this week. Well, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Shelby, who wrote to us, and to Josh, who wrote to us, who said just such kind things. David also. Um, my manager, Carrie. My comedy manager, Carrie, listened to us and, and sent a, a really beautiful, really beautiful note. My editor at William Morrow, HarperCollins, Cassie. <laughs> sent me a real nice note. I mean, people I know and then lots of strangers sent us some really nice emails just telling us to keep on keeping on. Ah, Polar Bear sent us a nice... Yeah, I remember Polar Bear. Well, let me tell you, Polar Bear, uh, before we go, Polar Bear is a guy who had written to us and and Marcus and I about a different thing, a sex thing, and it's going quite well for him now, but he wanted to check in, tell us he thinks we're great, which we are. Mm -hmm. Real nice, sympathetic, has never been through the depression, but has friends and family who have. So we were like, what the fuck is Polar Bear? So he explained it's because he's this giant, he was like the only white kid in his school. He was giant and white and could just run over anything on the football field, but was also really like nice yeah kind of like the coca-cola po- polar bears <laughs> never think about like big nice polar bears I always imagine like, and then i read about one that, i read about one that mauled a british kid and who is now dead so maybe we should learn a little more about wildlife <laughs> marcus is dancing in his chair and like making claw faces like claws in the air it's kind of adorable i'm not gonna lie while wearing a daniel johnston t-shirt uh, I think. That's Daniel Johnston, right? 
Yeah, I actually think I wear this T-shirt subconsciously whenever we record. You this do. Show. You all. You have two. I always no. I it, just this just one. one. Oh, really? Yeah, and I think for the last three episodes, I've worn this T-shirt. It's been about crazy towns. Like, <laughs> and like uh, I just Daniel. wake up in the morning, I'm like, what T-shirt do I want to wear? Um, I think I'm going to wear the Daniel Johnson T-shirt today. That makes me feel good when I hang out with my friend Sarah Benincasa. Yes. So thank you to everybody who wrote to us. You were really helpful and awesome. And listen, if you want some advice on sexism, hey, it doesn't have to be about mental illness at all. It can be about real fluffy, sexy time stuff. We will I don't help think, you out. I don't think we've gotten an email about like just like straight sex. Just banging it like, in just a while. It in a long time. Like I think we've just built a, a, a wonderful audience of crazy people. Yeah, like And we us. love you all. It's a big fucking party over here with all our drugs. Well, everybody, you have an awesome week. Remember, Sarah at SarahBenincasa.com is where you can send questions, comments, uh, concerns. Twitter.com slash Marcus Parks. Twitter.com slash Sarah J. Benincasa. And you can go to SarahBenincasa.com to see what the fuck I'm doing and where I'm going to be doing shows and all that kind of crap. We are also at Facebook.com slash Sex and Other Human Activities. Facebook.com slash Official Sarah Benincasa. Uh, have we gone through it all? CaveComedyRadio.com. Ah, CaveComedyRadio.com. Go to CreekLIC.com to see where it is that we record. And come hang out with us if you're ever in Long Island City, Queens. We're always here. Or at least I am. Totes. Bye, guys. Goodbye.